0: Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, good to see you guys. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. And I get the opportunity to share with you from God's Word today. We're continuing our Colossians series. But I want to give you a heads up for next week. As you can see, we are starting a new series called Lighten Up. All right? And I'm really excited about next week. Um, You need to come back. This series is actually based on a book. And we are going to be talking about breaking free from the prison of performance and success how many you know in this culture we are bound by this idea of man we got to perform we got to be successful we got to accomplish all these things and uh, this book basically walks you through uh, and through a process of what I believe is freedom and so I want to encourage you to come back next week and the following is actually going to be six week series I believe you're going to be encouraged you're going to be set free and so bring someone with you come back you don't want to miss it but today I am closing our series on the book of Colossians. How many have enjoyed this series so far? We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And today we're on chapter 3, the second half of chapter 3 into chapter 4. And uh, I love this book. This is a book that was written, a letter written to the church in Colossus by Paul the Apostle. Paul was writing from prison in Rome. So Colossus is a city about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And what was happening is the church was beginning to spread, right? So Jesus has ascended to heaven. It's been a few decades now of the church spreading to different cities. And a guy named Epaphras goes and plants this church in Coloss. And then they start having some false teaching happening. The Judaism is getting back into the church as well as some um, wrong philosophies of the day. And so Epaphras goes to Paul, says, hey, can you write a letter to our church? Because he's the apostle. Everyone sees him as the leader of the church overall. And so he writes this letter. He pens this letter and sends it off to the church to encourage them, to challenge them, to strengthen them. The first half of the book, he's really focusing on theological things. He's talking about how we're not bound by the law anymore, how Jesus is enough. He's all we need. Um, He talks a lot about the preeminence of Jesus, just his his power over all things, and then the fact that Jesus is all we need. And so he, he really hits on a lot of more theological ideas, really trying to help them in, in any false teaching that was coming into the church. And then it shifts here in chapter 3, and he starts to give more just practical guidance for everyday life. And today we're going to look at uh, the second half of chapter 3 into chapter 4 of just practically what it looks like to walk out life in a Jesus family. Now, how many of you would say you are a part of a family that is somewhat dysfunctional? Just be honest if you're like, my family is somewhat... Okay, pretty much all of us have our hands in the air. Why? Because we're all pretty dysfunctional. We all are, have issues, we're a little jacked up, right? Like, we have our challenges. And so dysfunction is a part of being in a family. And, uh, you know, even my wife and I, we have dysfunction in our home. In fact, just a couple days ago... Uh we got into it because I broke one of our rules. We have a rule that from six to eight we're not allowed to be on our cell phones. This is when dinner takes place. This is when we hang out with the kids, we get them ready for bed, we put we read them stories, put them to bed, all these kinds of things. And so I happened to pull out my phone at the dinner table and I justified it. I'm trying to tell her, well, I have a good reason. I need to send this text to this guy, and I need to respond to this, and I need to check on free agency in the NBA world. You know, like I got some things I got to check in on, and so we got into it, and it turned into a whole night thing. We had like an hour and a half conversation after the kids went to bed. Why? Because I wouldn't swallow my pride and just admit that I was wrong. I kept trying to justify it, and so it turned into an hour-plus conversation of me trying to prove why there was a good reason. I was on my phone, breaking the rules, all these kind of things, saying that she does it sometimes. Why? Because I'm dysfunctional, like all of you. Uh, I have issues, too. This morning, I'm getting my three kids ready for church because Chrissy came early. She was uh, on the worship team today, so she came early. So I got all three kids ready. Come on, give me some love for that. I mean, I deserve it. That, that, that's... An achievement in and of itself uh so all three kids but I, I laid out their clothes for the boys in the room I laid them out I said boys put these clothes on get ready my middle child Kai he comes walking into my bathroom as I'm getting ready and says dad I'm not wearing these clothes these clothes are weak <laughs> I was like where, where what does that even mean and where did you learn to say that and he's like dad these clothes are weak I'm like dude, I don't know what that means. What do you mean they're weak? He's like, these clothes, they're not church clothes. I don't look good enough for church. That's what he said. I, I've not ingrained this in him. Uh, and, and so I said, listen, boy, go back to room. Put the clothes on. You're wearing what I put out for you. And so he's like, fine, dad, and went back and got ready. But let me tell you, man, being in a family is hard, isn't it? Like family is hard. Doing family is hard. Uh, being a part of a family is hard. Why? Because there's dysfunction. And we're a part of families, like blood families, but we're also a part of the family of God. We're a part of a church family here at Project Church. We actually call this this is the house. This is the house of God. You're a part of the house here at Project Church. And in the house, because there's people, you're gonna have dysfunction. Because there's people, you're gonna have problems. That's why one of our core values, our blueprints as a church is project is our identity. What do we mean by that? We're all a work in progress there's no perfect people in this place and so what I want to do today I want to encourage us I want to challenge us in how to walk in a Jesus family because being a part of a Jesus family is not easy it's just not and here's what I want to focus on within this idea of a Jesus family is this we all lead and we all follow every person in this room you're leading in some areas of your life and you're following in others You're leading in areas of your home, and you're probably following in areas of your home. You're leading in areas of your job. You're also following in areas of your job. You're leading maybe in aspects of the church. You're also following in aspects of the church. All of us are leading and following. And so what I want you to hear today is we need to lead well and follow well in a family because Jesus led well and followed well in his family. Jesus set the example for us of leading and following. Jesus led thousands he led hundreds. He led a few, he led a dozen disciples. And uh, if, if any of you think, like, even Jesus as a leader had Judas. So in leadership, you're going to have challenges, okay? It doesn't matter. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had a challenge in Judas. And yet, Jesus also followed. In fact, the night he was betrayed, he went into a garden and prayed and said, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, don't make me go through what I got to go through. But he finished the prayer with this, yet not my will, but your will be done. You see, what does following look like? It means submitting yourself to the will of the Father. We all have to learn to follow. And Jesus showed us the example of following. But we also all have to learn to lead. If you're not leading anyone else, you're leading yourself in this room. And so we need to be good leaders good followers we need to follow well and lead well because jesus did. so let's read colossians 3 i'm gonna read starting in verse number 18 the kids man they're having a blast down there love it so uh, here, here's the challenge or, or i guess the the good thing of going through a book study like we've been walking verse by verse through colossians is we can't hide from the tough verses because i think in some you know there's been times i've done series and I'm like, eh, I'm going to avoid that. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the easier stuff. When you go through a book, verse by verse, you can't run from anything. All right, we got to go after it. So let's dig in. Here we go. Some of you are already on edge. Wives, submit to your husbands. Come on, somebody. No, I'm just kidding. As is fitting in the Lord. I'm going to break this down. Don't worry. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, that your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, everybody say salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person let's pray Jesus thank you for your word I pray that you would let me share from it with clarity what it is you want me to share in your name we pray amen so let me start by just tackling I'm going to just tackle right off the bat this idea of wives submitting to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord now first of all let me say this in the Bible there is times I read the Bible and I read things and I go I don't know if I agree with that now, give me a second because they're like, oh my gosh, he's a pastor. How could he say that? I'm saying that there are times that what I read in the Bible actually goes against some of what I may feel in the moment. And yet I have chosen that I will follow God's word whether I agree at, in the moment or not. Because God knows better than me. God is bigger than me. But also, I think there are verses like this that aren't properly taught or explained or broken down and so we take them we take them out of context or we take them to an extreme point not taking into account that the bible was meant to be read as a whole this is a whole story and there are other verses complementary to these kind of verses uh or to this verse that would actually give us a broader picture and strengthen what it is that paul's teaching here from paul's own mouth so chrissy and i have taught on this before and I want to quick talk about this because this idea of submission is something that we see in other part, uh, places in the New Testament. Paul actually talks about it in other places and even talks about husbands also having this attitude of submitting. But within this, Paul teaches something that I, I've seen abused in the church. So here's what I hear a lot of husbands doing. They're like, I need her to submit. I've had husbands going to be like, my wife, she won't submit. She won't submit to me. And I'm the leader, it says, wives submit as is fitting to the Lord. And, and they, they have this mindset that I don't have this wife, this compliant wife that just submits to me. And then I bring up, well, you know, there's another part or another part of scripture where Paul's talking and he says, also, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So I said, you want her to submit, but you need to die. <laughs> so we got husbands really wanting wives to submit, but they ain't trying to die. I'm not trying to die for nobody. So I want to say to you, husbands, you are some, your wives, this idea of like submission comes with a call on us to die to ourselves, to put our wives' needs first, our children's needs first, the, the needs of the family first. This is what scripture teaches us. And yet we'll attach this idea of submission and go, she just needs to be compliant, submissive. So let me break down real quick what submission is not, biblical submission. And we can look at 1 Peter 3 for some references from this. First, biblical submission is not agreeing on everything. So listen to me. You don't have to agree with everything your husband says. That's not biblical submission. Second, biblical submission is not leaving your brain at the altar of submission. There are some people, and I've had conversations and seen couples where the husband literally thinks she's not allowed to express her opinion because she has to submit she can't use her brain because she has to submit no this is not biblical submission three biblical submission is not a lack of influence Wives, you are just as influential in the marriage in the in the home in the family as husbands fourth biblical submission is not letting the husband's will be above the will of jesus you see jesus has to be his will must be leading the family and what happens is some of us get caught up with this idea of they need to submit and then the will becomes our will, but is our will aligned with God's will? Husbands, you need to make sure your will is aligned with God's will before you start trying to em- emphasize this idea or, or put yourself in this place of, of authority and say, submit to me. Fourth, fifth, biblical submission is not spiritual strength that only comes from the husband. So we are a church that champions women. We believe in women in leadership. We believe in women leading in this church. We believe in women teaching the word of God. And I'll tell you right now, this does not mean you have no spiritual strength, women. This idea of submission. And fifth or sixth, it's not living or acting in fear. We don't walk in fear. We don't live in fear. Husbands, you're not to put your wife in a state of fear because of your leadership. So listen to me. This idea and and how Chrissy and I have taught and defined biblical submission is this, is I'm the tiebreaker. God created an authority structure, and and how many of you know, like, you're in jobs, right? You you have jobs. Uh, You're in organizations. You've worked in organizations. In every organization, there has to be a leadership structure, doesn't there? Without a leadership structure, things become chaotic, and God set out a leadership structure in the home, and he said in this that husbands are the head of the household. Now, does that mean we lord over, or we domineer, or wives have no authority in any way or cannot speak into leading a family absolutely not but he gave this leadership structure and I believe husbands we have the job to live more selfless as the leaders we have the job to sacrifice even more as a leader and so I say and how we define is I'm the tiebreaker what does that look like if Chrissy and I ever disagree on a topic or a decision and we cannot come to an agreement I break the tie That's how I see my role as the head of the household. Now I want to tell you in 10 years of marriage almost, we have, I don't think we've ever come to that point or if we have, I listen to my wife so much and her opinion matters so much to me and I realize that I'm called to die to self, that I'm to be selfless, I'm to give myself for my wife and for my children, that I often end up saying, you know what, we're going to go with what you want. Why? Because I do think that I'm called to humble myself, to lead selflessly, and I think that is a good decision for us. But maybe there comes a moment where you don't agree and you feel strongly as the man that this is the the direction you need to be going. We need to do it with humility and grace and leading and praying that God actually changes the heart of our wife so that we're in alignment and unity. And within us, whenever we make a decision, Chrissy and I, once the decision is made, we're in complete unity. Even if one of us, for a moment, disagreed. Because once the decision is made in the home, you must have unity. You must have unity for your children, for your family, for your future. I wanted to break this down because I think this idea of submission is something that we can get a little carried away with and it's not properly taught in the church. And so this is a healthy family unit. Chrissy and I lead our family together. We make decisions together. We talk through everything, and yet God gave this leadership structure, and we celebrate that. My wife would say, we, I celebrate that. Second part of this I want to continue on is that here in this passage, it talks about slaves, talks about servants. It talks about masters. It talks about bond servants, and I think we read that, and we are thinking about it in our Cultural context of slavery, which was horrific, that ancestors, probably my ancestors, that brought individuals over from Africa to be slaves, put them in horrible situations, horrible living situations, and and enforced their will over them. It was ungodly, it was sinful, and something that we should be continually repenting for, and we're paying the and still seeing the repercussions for in our culture today in America. And so we have to, yes, reject this idea of slavery, but we also have to understand in this context, the context of this day, it was different than our context. Not only that, but Paul writes to them and he says, look, this is the culture we live in. So what I want to do is I want to give you clear instruction and guidance as to how to best represent the family of God in the cultural context in which we live. I do not believe paul was affirming this idea of slavery i don't believe paul was encouraging what paul was doing is saying listen this is the culture we live in we can't change it right now but what we can change is how we operate within it and so he challenges he says listen if you're a a master you need to lead humbly you need to lead kindly you need to lead with grace you need to be you know pay them a fair wage take care of them all these kinds of things He says, if you're a servant, you need to even change your heart so that you're working hard, not for God, not for a man, but for God. So he's challenging us in following and in leading. He's challenging them in their context. Not only that, but there was some slavery in the mindset that we have it where like people owned individuals, they lived under their roof and they had no freedom, but that was rare. Like that was a small percentage of this culture. The majority, this idea of bond servants and masters and servants was more of an employee-employer relationship where they lived elsewhere, they got paid for doing their job, and yet some of them were in contracts that were several years long. And so that's why they were called a a servant or there was this idea of master. Why? Because they were locked into working for this person for a period of time. So I wanted you to understand that culturally it's different. The context is different than what even we, how we would see slavery and yet there was a small percentage that is even how we would process it so again i don't believe paul is condoning it i believe he's saying this is the culture we live in so let's best represent the family of god within it and so i I know that we get up in arms about things like this and yet we condone things other things in our own life without even knowing it like if i walked around right now and like looked at the tag on your shirts I might see some shirts and some brands that were made in countries in sweatshops by people who aren't getting paid a fair wage, by people who are in horrible working conditions, by a company that's actually polluting the environment and not being, uh, you know, representative of what I believe is what we should stand for, which is social justice in this world. So I, I'm just going to give you a little tip because I've been doing this lately. There's an app you should download. It's called Good on You. You can type in any brand or clothing that you want and it'll bring up and it'll give a rating as to how they are in terms of fair wages how they are in terms of their their manufacturing plants how they are when it comes to um safe work environments and how they are in terms of environmental impact it's called good on you i've been looking at it when i go to buy clothes lately because i'm wanting to represent god even in that because there's social justice issues happening around the world and we are actually encouraging some of the brokenness in this world by buying and supporting companies that are doing just that stay woke church all right let's go (laughs) so I want to talk real quick about following in the home following at work and then leading at home leading at work just want to break down this passage because I read it for you but this is a little summary why don't you throw them all up for me Brianne there we go so following in the home wives You are to follow your husbands. There's this idea of submission, biblical submission. Children, follow your parents. It says obey your parents. Now, I actually looked at the Greek word for children in this, and it talked about uh, the original Greek language was was, uh, children up to teenagers, adolescents. So this isn't something that continues in life as you're an adult. And so I want you to hear me because some of you, and and I, I... went through this with my wife even like we first got married i'm like yo girl you got to talk to me more than you talk to your sisters about your about things some of y'all talk to your mommies more than you talk to your husbands some of y'all men talk to your mommies more than you talk to your wives about issues in your life we need to we're not submitted to our parents anymore but as children we are and i did want to break this down I, this came to me in first service it's something i've shared before i want to share it with you guys again about parenting because i know not all of you are parents But some of you will be one day. You need to store this, all right, in the wisdom bank. When it comes to parenting, I believe there's really like four stages. And what happens is that we get the stages mixed up, and then we wonder why our kids are so jacked up. Here's what it is. Zero to five is the discipline stage. You are to discipline your children. Zero to five. You ain't their friend. You are not to be their friend. You are to discipline them. Then you go to a stage from like 6 to 12 of teaching. You're now teaching your children. Then 12 to 18 you begin to coach them. Now you're coaching your children. 18 plus you can be their friend. But what happens is we got parents because we live in a different culture today. We're like oh I just want them to like me. I want them to be my friend. And they're four years old, five years old, we don't discipline them. We just act like we're their best friend. Like anything you want, Johnny, anything you want to do, I'll let you do. You want to stay up all night? You want to eat candy? Go for it, Johnny. And we wonder why when they're adolescents or 12-year-olds or 13-year-olds, teenagers, that they reject any kind of discipline we try to bring into their life. Because we didn't do it in the right stage. If you don't discipline them when they're zero to five, they're not going to listen to you when they're 12 to 18. Friendship comes after. One day I will be my kid's friend right now I ain't their friend I got a five-year-old or a six-year-old now I've already seen this switch like I literally feel like the zero to five stage has ended my opportunity to discipline him and of course you still enforce discipline but the the foundation of that had to be in place and if it wasn't in place now that he's six I could tell you right now he'd be rejecting some of the teaching that I'm giving that I'm trying to give him but I gave him the foundation of discipline, and so now he's able to receive the teaching that I give him here. We have to follow the stages, otherwise we get all jumbled up, and parents are doing it all backwards today, and so one day you'll be their friend. You don't need to be their friend right now. I can't wait to be my kid's friend. Not now. Does that mean you're you're harsh no. Does that mean you don't love them or you don't treat them well? No, not at all. In fact, the scripture talks about this. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, what does that mean? My wife quotes this to me all the time because I love to tease my kids. I love to mess with them. I've made my kids cry on multiple occasions. I'm dying laughing. They're crying. What am I doing? I'm provoking them. Look, guys, I got issues too, okay? I'm provoking them. All you parents in here have done it. Your kid's been crying and you just cry back in their face because you can't handle anymore, it's over, right, and so you cry, what are you doing, you're provoking your children, parents, fathers, don't provoke your children, love them, lead them well, so this is a breakdown, children's parents, following at work, bond servants follow masters, we could translate that for us to workers, you follow your boss, all workers, you follow God, we work for the Lord, my wife's favorite verse is Colossians three twenty-three. we just read it, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We're not doing it for man. We're doing it for God. I know you may not love your job, but when you walk in the door, say, God, this isn't for anybody else. This is for you. I'm going to do it with all I have. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I can't stand my coworkers, but God, help me to love them. I can't stand my, bu- my boss. They're the worst leader I've ever been under, but God, let me work harder than everyone else. We have an opportunity to lead well, but we also have an opportunity to follow well. And we follow God by working hard. Next, leading at home. We got husbands, loving your wives, being kind to them. Fathers, encouraging your children, not discouraging or provoking them like I do sometimes. I'm working on it. Leading at work. We all work hard, masters and bond servants. This idea of those of you that are bosses in this place. I know some of you are. Or you have people underneath of you. You're some kind of supervisor that you would lead well. That you would lead with humility you would lead with joy man you all have been under how many have been under bad leaders how many have had bad bosses is there anything more discouraging or more life like taking is there anything more draining what if we when we have opportunities to lead when you rise up in your job when you rise up in, in in supervising when you rise up in the place that God has placed you in the workforce in the workplace what if you led differently what if you led well what if you led with humility, what if you led with love, what would God do, God would show them that there's something different about you, we have to lead well, lead at home, lead at work, lead with our families, we are called to lead and to follow, listen to me in this, your job wives isn't to change your husband, your job is to love him, your job husbands isn't to change your wife, your job is to love her, your job Parents, isn't to change your kids. Your job is to love them. Your job isn't to change the people you work with. Your job is to love them. Our job is love. We have a call to love, we are to live out love that's what we're to do we at this church we say all the time look it's not about and we don't want to be a church of behavior modification we want to be a church of heart transformation we want to declare God you touch their heart you change the heart the behavior will follow it's about the heart we got to love people first let God change the actions it's up to him I want to close with this I want to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus because I do think this is kind of like this passage. And that's, again, the challenge in teaching verse by verse is there's a lot of different ideas here. But I think leading a following was weaved through all of this. And so he started and he talked about the home, about leading a following in the home. He talked about leading a following in the workplace, and the workforce. Paul lays it out for us. And then he transitions. And I believe he's talking now about how we follow Jesus with our lives and so chapter four to focus on those first five verses he starts out and he says listen you got to pray with thanksgiving you got to pray with a thankful heart and for others and for the gospel so I want to tell you now Jesus followers we pray and some of you are like I'm not good at prayer you need to start working on praying God wants us to be people of prayer. Prayer doesn't have to be these special, super religious, um, extremely perfect prayers that some of you think. You don't have to be the most eloquent. You don't have to use big words. I've heard people pray. I'm like, what are you saying? Like, just talk to him. He's a good father. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear what's going on in your life. But at the same time, some of us see God as an ATM machine, and we're just trying to put our card in and get something out. Rather than saying, God, thank you for what I do have. I know you're in this place you're walking through challenges but what do you have that's good what has God blessed you with what do you have to be thankful for if I asked you every person in this room could tell me something they could be thankful for are we praying thanksgiving to God are we thanking him for the things our life then Paul goes on he says pray for others and for the gospel I want to challenge you right now that you would pray for that tough co-worker that you would pray for that boss that you have a hard time with And also that you would pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth. I wonder if the church is praying enough for the gospel. Are we praying that the good news of Jesus would go out in this world? Are we going to be praying for this team in Guatemala that are leaving on Thursday? They're going to be gone for seven days. Are we praying that the gospel will go forth there? Are we praying that the gospel will be released through Project Church in this city? We need to pray for the gospel the good news, because the world is desperate, the world is full of death, the world is full of hopelessness, and we have the answer, we have the hope, we have the good news, and we need to pray that the good news goes forth. Second, Jesus' followers walk in wisdom towards people who don't know Jesus. You see, he talks about it here. He says, pray for us, pray for the gospel to go forth, and then he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, And outsiders, he's saying, look, those that don't know Jesus, those that aren't a part of the family of God, use wisdom, walk in wisdom with them. Why do we walk in wisdom with them? Why? Because God has given us a commission and a mission to reach them, to bless them, to love them. You know what your job is as followers of Jesus? First and foremost, your purpose is to worship. That your every breath, your every action, your every step your every word your every deed would be worship that is the primary purpose so some of you in this place I, I don't know my purpose i'll tell you your purpose is to worship that you worship God with everything with everything that you do you see it as worship to God that's why he says don't work for man work for God because everything we do is worship that is your primary purpose my prayer, primary purpose but then God gave us a commission in Matthew 28 he said go make disciples of all the nations what he was saying is you have a purpose to worship me but you have a commission to go out and spread my name across this world so when we walk in wisdom towards outsiders what is that doing it's an opportunity to fulfill the the purpose of worship and the commission of spreading the good news right there every day you have the opportunity to walk out your purpose and to walk out your mission your commission that jesus gave you of leading people and showing people what wisdom looks like he says do it number three by making good use of the time you've been given the second part of that he says making the best use of the time how many of you know that your time is short i know some of you are older in here you got some gray hair like me i'm getting gray now that's why i keep my fade tight y'all i'm trying to hide it Hide the grace. Uh, but but as we get older, we begin to realize that our time is short. Some of you in this place, you know, you're, you're, you're in your 20s and you're like, I got lots of time. Let me tell you, my 20s took forever. Now, I, next month, I turn 37. I'm like, I just turned 30. Where did 37 come from? Why? Well, I, I, it's been crazy. My kids, like having kids, I feel like accelerates time. Like God pressed the fast forward button on my life. And now all of a sudden next year, man, I'm gonna have a first grader and a kindergartner. And I'm just like, what is happening? Why, because our time is short. Are we making the best use, good use of the time that we've been given? The Bible says that your life is a mist, it's a vapor. It's there and it's gone, the span of eternity. Are you making the best use of the time you've been given? Some of you need to think about that right now. You've been cruising through life taking it easy you say i'm laid back i'm just enjoying the ride no god's got a purpose for you he's got a call on you he's got a reason that you're here we need to make the best use of the time we've been given because it is short and the last thing we see here is we need to speak with graciousness it says that your speech may be seasoned with salt what does he mean by that he says your words there's substance to them Your words, they matter. Your words have weight. Your words have power. You speak with the graciousness. You speak with the love. This is what Jesus' followers do. Jesus set the ultimate example for us of this. He spoke with such grace. He spoke with such forgiveness. He spoke with such love. And we have to walk and speak in the same way. So, like two weeks ago, my son, uh, Kanan, we were driving to school and the NBA Finals had just ended and man, he, he loves basketball because your boy loves basketball. And I watch basketball all the time and so he watches it all the time with me. It's his favorite. And we're driving to school and we weren't talking about anything that really was of importance, just kind of random things. It was just me and him because the other kids were coming later. And as I'm talking to him, out of nowhere, he says, Dad, Dad, I have a question for you. He says, Dad, if I made it to the NBA, would you be proud of me? And I had to stop. Like, I hesitated because I'm like, I have to answer this question in the right way. And I said, well, buddy, I want you to know right now that daddy would be proud of you no matter what you do. I said, you don't have to go to the NBA if you don't want to. You don't have to play basketball at all if you don't want to. I said, I will be proud of you no matter what you do. I just want you to do something that you love to do. That's me, man. I'm an earthly father. And that is my heart. I would be proud of my child no matter what. No matter what they do. I will be proud of them. You have a heavenly father that loves you so much more than an earthly father could ever love a child. And this heavenly father, I wanted you to hear this because this whole series has been about Jesus being enough. That Jesus is all we need. That Jesus is more than enough for our lives. And this idea of being in a Jesus family matters. You're a part of the family of God. Maybe you're in this place and you're not. Today's your day. I wanted you to hear from me that when you're a part of God's family, you have a God and a Savior that loves you on your worst day. And He loves you on your best day. He loves you when you fail and He loves you when you succeed. He is proud of you no matter what you do. Why? Because you don't have to be perfect because He was already perfect. That's the family that we're a part of. A family that isn't based on performance or success or perfection. We don't have to be perfect because the perfect one already paid the price so that we could be set free. So I want you to hear me today. Being a part of a Jesus family, there's nothing better. Being a part of God's family, there's nothing better. Why? Because he loves you just as you are. He loves you just where you are. And some of you are maybe in a pit right now some of you have come out of a tough day or a tough week or a tough month maybe a tough year maybe a tough decade but God is telling you right now he loves you he wants nothing more than to tell you that he's proud of you that he has a plan for you that he has a purpose for you that he wants to use you and that all you got to do is embrace a loving God Jesus is enough you can't do it on your own he's enough you can't be good enough he's enough you can't be perfect he's enough Jesus is all we need in, in Colossians the theme verse of this whole series was Jesus is all and in all I want you to hear me today he is all we need he's in every part of this world even when you don't see him he's there and he's reaching out to you today and he's letting you know I'm proud of you and I love you Just as you are. That's the Jesus family that we're a part of. Would you bow your heads across this place?